To me, I was just doing my job. And probably like yourself, you know, when people try to shut you up, it, all it does is just, it strengthens your resolve. On that Monday morning, I'm driving into Dewsbury and I get run off the A64 by four BMWs full of armed police. It's in the community hall in, um, in Savile Town. <laughs> and it's a Shariah car. Shariah Tribunal. <laughs> it's a Shariah Tribunal. The people who characterise themselves as journalists now, they're not journalists. They may well be in name, but they're just opinionators. I was incredibly proud of my profession and my history within it, yeah? And now I'm ashamed. It's almost like being at an AA meeting, you know? My name's Danny and I'm a journalist, you know? As, as a responsible journalist, you know, which is what we should do, not just swallow... Just as a responsible human. Just not swallow Big Pharma's narrative, the bottom pit for politicians. There is not one single, single, peer-reviewed study that shows man-made CO2 contributes to climate change. It's a fact. There is a, a widespread globalist, elitist um, agenda to basically um, unify global governance. And says, yeah, Mr. Lockwood, yeah, we've, in, we've got intelligence that, you know, a group of people of interest um, are trying to find out where you live. <clears throat> Information covered up, censorship, corruption. The mainstream media have proven itself to be untrustworthy. I'm here to give a platform for debate, for truth, for open discussion. I'm introducing you to my podcast, Silenced with Tommy Robinson. Who exactly is Tommy Robinson or Stephen Gaxley Lane? With the English Defence League, the the problem is with Islamic radio. English far-right Islamophobic activists. Since then, there's been organised protests across the country in London, Manchester, Leeds. People in their thousands are marching for what There is no such thing in this country as a Muslim... Free Tommy Robinson! Danny Lockwood was born and brought up in Dewsbury. He worked for 41 years in global media, from news, sport and current affairs, writing and editing in the UK, USA and Australia, plus wide-ranging experience in radio, TV and presenting. After a period with Johnson Press, he set up the press, which was a free newspaper financed by advertising. He had a column there, which he wrote as Ed Lines. Much of what he reported did not go down too well with the local Muslims to the extent that he has been threatened and demonstrated about. With a shared passion for journalism and exposing the truth, it's been my absolute pleasure to welcome Danny to join me on my podcast, Silenced. Danny, I'd like to thank you, Dominic, for coming to be a guest on my podcast. I'd like to say that we've um, become acquaintances, but I'd rather say we've become friends mm -hmm. since meeting very long ago. I'll introduce you as a mainstream media journalist. We'll get onto that in a minute. Ouch. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> we'll let rip on it. But I want to hear, first of all, because we spoke yesterday and you told the story to someone else mm -hmm. about how we first become acquainted. Yep. Our um, first introduction. Well, um, I suppose I should sort of preface that with saying I've been a journalist for 45 years. You say I'm mainstream media. I certainly was until a few years ago. Um, but I've, um, yeah, 
Uh, I've, I've edited a newspaper, mostly regional newspaper uh, companies up and down the up and down England over the last 20, 30 years. Uh, I've worked with all of the national press at one level or another. Um, in fact, when I set up my own publishing company in 2002, I, I turned down jobs from the Mail on Sunday and the Daily Telegraph, so I guess that's mainstream. Um, until recent years, I was quite a frequent guest on BBC Newsnight, worked with uh, Channel 4, worked with um, BBC Radio, um, been on the Daily Politics, that sort of stuff. So I guess that's mainstream. Um, but because I own my own publishing company the last 20 years, um, have the freedom, if you like, to set a proper news agenda and not follow sheep-like, the one that we see today in the MSM. So, yeah, um, and it was that's the backdrop to how you and I met in early 2015. Um, and just to explain that, I got a phone call from a Church of England vicar who was doing pastoral visits in the prison system and he phoned me up and he'd, I'd written a book in 2011 called The Islamic Republic of Dewsbury. We'll get on to that, I want to go into that. Yeah, which sets a little bit of a, <laughs> a, a scene, if you like. And, and so this vicar phoned me up and he was, it, 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 it served in Dewsbury and he was aware of my book. And he phoned me up and said, Danny, um, there's a guy I think you should meet and tell his story. And I said, oh, who is it, the Pope? Archbishop Desmond Tutu, someone, you know, religious? He said, no, it's Tommy Robinson. I said, you expletive deleted, that expletive deleted. He said, there's nothing but bloody trouble wherever he goes, and we don't want to see it. We, we don't want to see him in Dewsbury of all places, staring up his expletive deleted. So, and, and he said, yeah, he said, I get it, I get it, I get it. He said, he said, but I've seen him in solitary confinement. Is you know, he's he's on hunger strike. This is a desperate young man, and no one will listen to his story, let alone believe it. He says, and of all the journalists I know, uh, uh, he says, you're the one guy that would get his story. So, based on the friendship I had with that vicar, I, I said, well, okay, I'll meet the guy, you know, for what it's worth. So I think I, I got the train down to Peterborough. You drove up. Uh, we had a coffee, we went for a walk around town, we had the famous Tommy Robinson Nando's. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> had you had Nando's before that? I, Do I, I don't think I had. And, and, the, and then I came away, I got the train home and I just thought, I don't believe this. There's too much to take in. You know, because I'm not saying I completely bought the mainstream narrative, but that's as much as anybody was getting. And what you told me was a story that if I had any self-respect or self-regard as a journalist, I had to at least have a look at. So I know I, when we parted, I said, listen, I'll, um, I'll look into a few of these things you've told me because, you know? and I looked into all the things you told me and I couldn't contradict a single one. At which point I thought, well, there's not only a, a, a grievous miscarriage of justice going on here, there's also a grievous deception of the wider public and what this guy is about and, and what he's, Angry, and you were back then. You were always angry. You haven't changed that much. Yeah, angry man, <laughs> as I'm known by my but, friends. No, no, but 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 I just thought, no, I owe it to my forty odd years as a journalist to to give this story an airing, however that would transpire. And so um, I came down to Luton. You showed me around the place. Met quite a lot of your Muslim friends, which again is counter to the narrative that people are sold. Um, 
and met your family and got the one stand, the real Tommy Robinson, and said, well, you know, this is a story that has to be told. So, and as a result of that, I worked on your book with you and, uh, and ultimately, yeah, Enemy of the State. His fault. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I say his fault, but twice time number one bestseller. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can I, so I'll, I'll be, you know, so the gentleman who introduced us. Yeah. A lovely man who I'd met, he, when I set up the English Defence League, I was contacted by a vicar, again, it's a vicar mm -hmm. from the Church of England, So can I come and see you? He travelled down and met me, put his hand on my lap and said, do you mind if I say a prayer for you? I've never felt close to God, ever. Yeah. And then he sat there and he said a prayer. And he said, I'm afraid you're going to be a sacrificial lamb in this battle, in this struggle. And then he sat and then he got to know me. And you're right, when I was in prison, he used his visits within the church to come in and visit me. And then he, because he used to be a journalist, right? Yeah, in he South was, Africa. He was a journalist in South Africa. And then he said, so he originally, when I first met him, he said, I want to tell your story through your eyes. And then he'd been offered a superior place, which was very important to him within the church mm -hmm. for what he was doing. So then he introduced me to yourself, which I'm glad he did. Um, I'm glad he did because we'll get onto this as well. This book, Islamic Republic of Jewsbury, you wrote in 2011. So we'd started the English Defence League two years prior. Yeah. And this basically tells the story of the change of Jewsbury. And when you put, when I put eyes on this, it's like walking my life through Luton. It was so similar. So having, it's like the experience I've seen and the change I've seen. So tell me about, explain this. Okay. Um, I'm Dewsbury born and, and, and bred and, and, and the sort of parallels between Dewsbury and Luton are actually matched between my family and yours. I'm, um, I'm of an Irish Catholic background. You know, my, my, my family were migrants three generations ago. Um, Dewsbury is very much an immigrant town, you know, sort of post-industrial. We brought in a lot of South Asian families sort of through the late 50s, 60s. That absolutely catapulted through the 70s, 80s. You know, down in Luton, there was a different industry. In, in Dewsbury, it was textile industry, but we had a lot of mines. But, you know, it... it it was it was entirely, if you like, um, uh, a social change that certainly Dewsbury witnessed before, with not just the Irish coming in, but the Polish after the Second World War. So it was a, a town that was familiar with immigration as a part of its culture, but what it wasn't familiar with was the absolute separatism of this different, not just culture but ideology, <clears throat> which actually endures to this day. So, um, from my point of view. I went into journalism in 1978 on the Dewsbury Reporter, you know. Um, I've worked in newspapers, as I said, all around the world, um, you know, from Dewsbury to Fleet Street and back. I came back in 1993 as the editor-in-chief of the group of newspapers that covers that part of Kirklees. North Kirklees is the sort of, um, the, the, sort of the political name for the area. Um, and by that time, by 93, the change had very much become not evolutionary but revolutionary and the book actually starts with the first uh, race riot that we had in town which went back to 1989 which was sort of related to the Salman Rushdie riots yeah okay um, um, and I think then it was the BNP that came to Dewsbury to stir it up and it all went it all went uh, peaked on as they say and it, and, and the, the riots spread across town and it involved that it, it became so it involved the traditional Dewsbury community versus the new sort of angry Muslim community. Uh, and from that point, everything changed. 
everything changed. And it's almost as though there was um, a doubt that it was taken as a decision. We've seen it in the grooming gang cases where they've actually had to admit it now in places like Rotherham and Rochdale and up and down the land. But where once the Muslim community started to assert itself, show and force, and, 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 once it, and once it took a step forward, all we did from that day to this is take a step back. And every time, you know, um, and so the political landscape was changing at that time as well. So they were starting to get elected Muslim councillors. They now own politics in Kirklees. Now, they own politics in Kirklees. We'll get onto this character, Pando, uh, I'm sure. But um, yeah. so the chief, uh, so the leader of, of Kirklees Council is Councillor Shabir Pando. Who starred in my recent documentary, Lot. You know, uh, his, his brother is Mohammed Amin Pando who works as actually the Muslim counsellor at Bradford University and Legion of, uh, and Huddersfield University, but also... He's the one he, who provoked the... He's, he's the rabble-rouser-in-chief. In chief. So going back to, so going back to 2018 at the Almondbury School where there was a, a playground spat between a Muslim lad and a white kid who's out there in front of the gates, despite there being 40 mosques closer to that school than his patch. It's Mohammed Amin Pandor staring up the hate, staring up the trouble, you know. Actually, um, Radio 4 exposed him a few years ago. Did they? Uh, yeah, yeah, they've, they've, they did a Was this to do with a school teacher? They, no, 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 this is before that. They did a full, uh, they did a, um, a, a full show on Pandor, uh, absolutely pulling him to pieces. BBC Radio 4? BBC Radio 4 did it. I'm sure if you Google it, you okay. can probably still find it. And, and, and he was, you know, because he'd, he'd, he'd come out and criticised Strictly Come Dancing. And he's, he's of the... Um, you know, is of the Diobandi tradition, which is the ultra-conservative. Down in Luton, you've got Wahhab, Wahhabi and Salafi, yeah. kind of the fundamental strains of Islam. Up in Dewsbury, we've got um, the Diobandis. Am I right that Dewsbury is the home of the head centre for them? Well, well, it's uh, you can argue whether it's Bury or Dewsbury, but, um, you know, in 1978, I think the Saudis funded the building of the Makazi Mosque, which What's is that? What's Mokazi Mosque? the Makazi Mosque is the biggest teaching mosque outside Saudi Arabia. This <laughs> is a Tablighi Jamaat. It's, it's, the, it's the HQ of Tablighi Jamaat in the UK. Um, in fact, just as a little aside, in 2012, uh, the EDL were planning a rally in Dewsbury, and I was editorialising, telling you to bugger off somewhere where you can make a difference because you certainly couldn't in Dewsbury. Um, you didn't show. And as a result, a carload of terrorists that came to blow up the centre of my hometown found that everybody had gone. So they went to the Makazi Mosque to pay homage there. There's video of them walking through the mosque. There's video of them. And on the way home down the M1, the police pulled the car over because it had no insurance. I'm sure they didn't think they'd be driving home that day. And of course, I think the next thing... They didn't find the bombs. No, no, they found them two days later. They, they took the car. <laughs> it's like sank out of four lines. It's oh. like sank out of comedy it, sketch. These Muslims have gone up there. They've gone to blow up. They get there two hours late. So they, they walk through the scene of where, where we were or would yeah. have been uh, two hours late. And then they go home, no insurance, get pulled in, car gets seized. Two days later in the compound, they look <laughs> in the, the boot. boot. <laughs> Suicide notes, bombs, guns. I think, and I think they got 18 or 19 years apiece between them. Finally. Yeah, maybe 25 even. Okay. I went to their case. <laughs> See, I'm sure you did. So, so yeah, so the Makazi is um, <clears throat> fundamental in more ways than one, to, to Dewsbury. It sits right at the heart of Savile Town, which was a working class sort of terrace house, um, uh, part of 
Dewsbury Town Centre, which is now 99.9% Muslim. Did you know, our, gov our government see these, this sect, the Abandi sect, as the future of Islam in Britain? Well, <laughs> yeah, that doesn't surprise me. What does surprise me is that they would even understand the differences that's in, from, in the, from, differ the different traditions. That's from Tom Robinson. Tom Rob Bishop Tom Robinson? Yeah. From Pontefract? I think it is. Yeah. So the church set up a meeting when I was leading the English Defence League with us to sit mm. down with Islamic scholars yeah. in a church premises to get over the table and say what our problems are. Yeah. They brought a lead... A lead, um, a lead cleric from the Golden Dome Mosque, and it was from the Diabandi sect. And when they sat us down in the church, they explained that MI5 and the security services see this sect, the Diabandis, the Diabandis as the future yeah. leading sect of Islam. Yeah. Well, you know, so well, so in terms of just to, to finish how that book came about, yeah. I have obviously, um, I was editor in chief at the Reporter Group from '93 to '99. I went off then and I edited groups down in the Cotswolds and up in Lancaster. And then I worked as a, um, as a consultant on national, national newspapers and magazines. Um, and I trained generations of journalists. But in 2002, I set up my own publishing company, headquartered in Dewsbury. I launched a newspaper called The Press, um, which really, at a time when the mainstream media was starting to it just it just didn't recognize the problems you know this is before we knew all about the grooming gangs um this was before if you like a lot of the problems that predominantly muslim towns were starting to experience before that became mainstream i was in a position where we could report it truthfully and honestly and it came at a cost it came at a cost to me personally in my business uh, to my family you'll be aware of that but i'm old school journalist in that the truth will out and for me, it was never about the creed. I used, about the I, I used to be shocked by the front pages of your newspaper because no newspaper reported it the way you did. Well, you know, I lost my best friend at the age of 33, 34 to a heroin overdose. I have so many friends of my age and generation who've lost their kids to heroin overdoses. And I'm going back now to 1996 when um, uh, uh, a leader of the national, um, oh, thank you, what's the charity? I want to say lifeline. But anyway, he stood up there and said, just for your information, Dewsbury has a worse heroin problem than inner city London or Liverpool or Glasgow. He says the average age of your addicts is about four or five years younger than the average. And the reason that we do is because, uh, whereas in Leeds, if you like, the, the, if you wanted cannabis or cocaine, the, the Leeds gangs kind of ran it. In Dewsbury and Batley, and in our area, it was heroin. It was heroin. What was it? Uh, because it was, it was imported from Afghanistan, Pakistan, and they controlled the drugs trade. So, you know, when I do guided tours, when I take David Aranovich, the, the Times, ex-Times and BBC journalist, when I take him on a guided tour um, for a five live documentaries doing, I said to him, do you want to see criminal Islam at work or do you want to see fundamentalist Islam at work? And then I'll take him down a street where I used to live, Lee's home in Thornhill, Lee's, um, and so on. And that's where, that was my house. And just around the corner there was the house of Mohammed Sadiq Khan. Mohammed Sadiq Khan, who left his home in July 2005 to go lead his little gang to blow up London. Seven, seven bombers. So, so you've got you know, all, the, <laughs> all the world and all the complexities all in one small town. Did, they go to, did he go to the Tbilisi Jamaat Mosque? So, um, it, it, what, he, he was actually from Leeds originally, but he married a Dewsbury girl. Um, okay. he, he, the mosque 
kind of tries to distance itself. But they'd operate there at some time or other. But, you know, if you ask me, we've got more radical mosques in Dewsbury than that one. Okay. <laughs> How many mosques have you got in Dewsbury, John? Oh, last count, there were probably, I think it, it's a couple of years because I moved out of town. Yeah. It was probably over 40. It may, it, it may well be much more than that now. But, of course, you know, we, we said Dewsbury, but Dewsbury's big rival town is Batley. And, and Batley... I could have called that the Islamic Republic of Batley just as easily. There's only two miles between the town halls. And so, you know, and across that entire community now, it is, uh, I haven't seen the numbers from the last census, but certainly within a couple of miles, you know, the urban parts of Dewsbury and Batley are overwhelmingly now uh, Muslim. I saw a piece you done with a national newspaper. I saw a journalist who'd done a report on Saddletown. Sue Reid from the uh, Daily Mail, I think that would Sue have been. Sue Reid from Daily Mail. And you took her around and the demographical change of Savile Town, that's where it, it was 96%. No, it, it's not, it was like 99.5. 99.5% Muslim. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In fact, we found, I actually found a couple of the only white residents left. And Sue went and interviewed one of the ladies, um, you know, about it. And, and, and you know, she had, she's got, gets along great with her neighbours. This isn't, and that book is not about, um, you know, sort of, trying to do anything other than just reflect the sociological change of my town. Do you think our politicians understand what the change of a town like that looks like? Do you think they understand the consequence socially of the changes? When a town changes like that, what's it like there? Say, for example, say for example, in, in Jewsbury, with the influence of the Islamic religion, what's it like for women? Um, it's, it, it's, it's two towns. It's, it, 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 it has, it, it, in fact... You know, my mum always used to go down to Dewsbury. Dewsbury had uh, the biggest outdoor market in, in the UK at one point, and it was a world-winning market. And every Saturday I'd go shopping with my mum and all the aunties, all my aunties would be down there and you'd see all the women, and it was just almost like a social event. You know, you just don't see those people in that town anymore. Because, of course, what, what, what that book tries to... Uh, convey to people is that, for instance, you know, Dewsbury Market, you know, may as well be walking through a bazaar in Southeast Asia. You know, we couldn't sustain, I mean, Woolworths and Marks and Spencers went quite long ago. We can't, we couldn't even sustain the town centre McDonald's, you know, there's the, because because obviously, no, no, and, and, and it's natural when you understand it in that if the customer base changes so radically as it has, Everything, else, 30, everything else changes. Everything changes to reflect. Culture it. changes. So, so, so it's not a surprise, you know, mm. that churches and pubs are now madrasas and mosques. That's not that's that's not to point fingers. That just is what happens when you get a systemic change like that. You know, I've moved out of Dewsbury. I got my family to a safe place because of the problems. Can I talk about that? Yeah, let's talk about. So, you're a journalist. You run in a mainstream newspaper. You, you, your newspaper was reporting openly about drug gangs, yep. criminal gangs, yep. religious gangs. Yep. You were openly, when I say openly, quite, I was, as I say, surprised. And I'm just surprised because I'm from Luton and I look at our newspaper and they just shy away from it. They just don't go near it. You were investigating them well, you know, there's heavily. A, there's a reason why the BBC's investigations editor wanted me to go down and train BBC journalists not that long ago. As I said, it is not about the creed or the colour. It's about the criminality. 
and I was with a detective chief superintendent once, and I said, and I was speaking to, um, if, you're, if you're familiar, uh, with it was a forum of civic leaders. So there were people from the council, there were police, there were, and I was there to talk about the work we did, because this ran counter to anything that they were willing to uh, own up to. And I said, well, you know, listen, the drugs trade in Dewsbury is 95% run by... I'm not going to call them Pakistani or Gujarati gangs. I'm going to call them Muslim gangs because that is actually the defining characteristic, not the country. It is the creed in this case. And, and I said, when you say country, because Gujarati is Indian. Well, don't, yeah, yeah. So yeah, there's a little Indian flag on the cover of my book, yeah, um, and it was on the original one because people automatically think, you know, Pakistan. the large Pakistani community, and that's true. And in and in Dewsbury as a whole, um, it would be more Pakistani than. Gujarati Indian, but in Sabaltown, which is the spiritual and commercial and political home of Islam in, in our area, you know, they're all, those people are all from basically the cities of uh, Barush and Surat in Gujarat. And they came there first, the Patels. So, you know, so the most did. powerful mosque in Sabaltown isn't the big one. It's, 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 it's another one called the Zachariah Mosque. And that's run by... Um, uh, a charitable foundation called the Islamic Muslim, uh, the Islamic Muslim Patel Foundation, and um, so and so the Patel, what difference does that Patel's make? Run the show. What uh, difference does that makes to so say in Saveltown? What difference does it make if it's a spiritual home and it's the Gujaratis? What does, difference does that make say to property value or oh. <laughs> things like that in the community? Well, a two-bedroom house in Saveltown, a terraced two-bedroom house in Saveltown, will cost twice as much as one a mile and a half away across the River Calder. In a similar Pakistan community. You know, I always said there's two things you never see in Town. That's dogs on the street houses for and sale. for sale signs outside houses. Because they're sold. Because they just go, they go within the family. They go within the family. And Because um, they want to So uh, Town alone has eight mosques, you know, and, and you can throw a blanket over the place. So, but, but again, that's like Mayfair, you know. <laughs> you, you, it, it, it's, it's the desert's place to be. And, and the, the power brokers, certainly in terms of religion, tend to uh, Gujarati. But, you know, the, the, the MPs, Dewsbury's MPs probably don't understand that over the years, although one of them would, Shahid Malik, till we got rid of him, you know. So it's, um, and like I said, when I talk about the price you pay for doing that, you know, Shahid Malik, who was our MP from 2005 to 2010, you know, he sued me for libel. Um, he sued you for libel from this book? No, 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 no. <laughs> it was, for something you were our, 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 our politics have been bought and paid for for years and years, you know. What, what and I've said what, that. What do you mean? What do you mean? Bought and paid for. Well, because the, the, the Labour Party is owned by the Muslim community. In, okay, the Labour Party is owned by the Muslim community. Yeah. In so, so, for instance, I'm interviewing Ed Miliband in Dewsbury Town Hall in. 2000 and whenever he was leader and then so so Danny how do you think we'll do it I said oh, you've got it bought and paid for me no problem and yet right now they've got a conservative MP because every time they put a Labour you know a Labour MP in they bugger it up if you'll pardon my French like Malik did they saw division you know um, they pander to that one community and that creates resentment so so you've got communities growing apart not closer together and and because you know the the police won't challenge the bad behaviour, um, 
they're having to now with the child grooming. They arrested over 100 a couple of years ago. I think they charged 42. I think, yeah, there was 100 yeah. arrests, which is the most arrests per square mile than anywhere yeah, else. Yeah, and, you know, and that was only scratching the surface. But, but because of the problems that we've inherently had, um, you know, and nobody was dealing with it, and there was blatant corruption in the one election in 2006, and, uh, and the Conservative councillor who lost his seat with a 100% swing in the vote, <laughs> fathomed that out, um, he wrote a letter that went in both my newspaper, the press, and the Dewsbury Reporter. And Shahid Malik sued me and my paper, but not him, but not the other one. When okay. we get, to, and when we get to, and you'll understand our our, our libel trials. This is my where, friend. Yeah, come. This where when, the lead, This is where the law. So they've used. Okay, let's get onto it. So, so you you've published a letter which makes allegations against Shahid Malik. No, it didn't. <laughs> it actually just said that he was there watching when it all happened. When there was fraud. That's it. Okay. <laughs> so, so pretty tenuous libel, but the other paper had agreed to shut up and I told him where to shove it. Okay. You know, half a million quid's worth of cost later with a two-week trial at the High Court in London and the judge, John Depp, and the judge in setting the stall, and you know how this happens, says, oh, by the way, you can't have that uh, witness, Baroness Saeed Abasi, because I basically got Saeed into politics, not that she'd admit that now. Um, you can't have that witness, you can't have that witness. Oh, and by the way, you can't have this evidence in. Um, the fact that the letter was in another paper and he's not sued then. So we were not allowed to even reference that. I, of course, when I'm in the witness stand, absolutely referenced it. Malik, under cross-examination, admitted it. And the jury, because we had a jury, that's what saved you us. You had a jury for long? We had a sit this is part of this book, because this is 2007. When it got to court, it, it changed after that. And the jury sat there and thought, what's going on here? They're all looking at each other. What's going on here? Because Why is he going for and, him? And, 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 and Sir so David Eady, who was the lead High Court judge then, just like Matthew Nicklin was in your case, um, he's kind of like, oh, God, what have I done? Because when the jury went out, they came back, said, we can't reach a verdict. He said, well, I'll take a majority, 11-1, 10-2. No, you're not even close, mate. 9-3, no, we can't reach a verdict. They had 10 questions that they read out to, that they had for him and, and he was just going redder and redder because he couldn't answer them because he'd ruled them out in his, in his, you know, when he was setting the stall for the, and you know how that works. So we were, so it was a hung jury. So he said, right, we'll come back next, next, week for, next year for three weeks, at which point Malik's lawyers, Bindman's, who are the Labour Party's pet lawyers, they said, we're not throwing more bad money after this. Do you mind if I ask how much money you you threw this? Um, we were about, about just short of about a hundred thousand pounds down. You don't get that back. We don't get that back. We're about a hundred so, down. So lawfare, yeah, essentially was used. Yeah, and they didn't go after the other newspaper because the other newspaper wasn't reporting. But the, no, the other newspaper just about said we'll, 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 we'll be good boys. You know. Okay. So so yeah so I I I, I feel your pain where libels concerned. The the difference being. Um, that we had a jury and that saved us and today I would have and we would have suffered exactly the same fate as you if you didn't have a jury yeah because no. a judge would have ruled with Shalid Malik the lady. yeah it was it was good it, it did everything except that anyway you know yeah. I mean I was even I was I was I don't know if I can tell this I was reported for con I've, I've probably been accused of contempt or brought, dragged before judges for contempt and I'm and, and I was writing his name as Adam Wankowski <laughs> <laughs> and somebody <laughs> faxed him it I said, stop the trial, clear the jury, you know. May we approach the bench, my lord? 
Yes, Mr. Walensky, what is it? Mr. Lockwood has been guilty of a grievous contempt of court. He's been calling me Wankowski. <laughs> and, and, and Edie goes into his chambers right at the back of the... And we're in court 13. No, the big we, 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 we could hear him laughing, you know. <laughs> and he comes back and says, uh, yes, Mr. Wa Mr. Walansky. He said, I believe that this is what's called a typographical error. <laughs> now can we get on with business? So anyway, yeah, there, there wasn't much to laugh about at the time. But Tell me, that, so that was some pressures. You've been taken through the courts. You've been hit for £100,000. Did anyone try and sue you over this? No. No, oh, okay. No, that was celebrated in Savile. They loved that. Because to them, you've just detailed what they've done. Yeah, but, and, and, and although, you know, the, the title of the book, on the face of it, can be a little bit provocative. Actually, it's not. It's just historically accurate and reflective of, what? of the change. And that's, you know, I mean, that, I, I wrote a final edition in 2015 because between the first one and that, a lot of the bad guys that's referenced in the first book we've managed to put away in prison. Because, you know, I'm quite proud of some of the... Investigate. You were doing yeah, we've, your newspapers doing the police. We've job. got. We've had. We've we've ended po political careers by you know by exposing the exposing the, the, the corruption, the the electoral fraud, the the you know the criminal, financial economic fraud, um, and so yeah, I'm proud where, where, of what we did. Where can people get this book? It's on Amazon. It's on Amazon. Isn't it? Unlike your latest book, Silence, which of course was taken off without any reason given. Um, that is still for sale, Islamic Republic of Dreamsbury, Danny Lockwood. <laughs> well, the first, Danny, you were, well, you were one of the first people in this country to detail and confront the Islamisation issue, to talk about the consequences of yep. the Islamisation issue. Yep. Well, you've just spoke about court, you've spoke about what was it like? You've just, we, we know, Savile Town, 99% Muslim, Dewsbury, 40 mosques. I know what it's like living in a community like that. I know how on topic can come living in a community like that. What was it like running a newspaper, which, as we've said, you were doing similar to police-style investigations into criminality, yeah. into corruption, and you were front-paging it and front-paging it and front-paging it, um, week in, week out. Yeah. What pressures did that bring personally for you? Um, it did brought it... more for my family than it did for me, um, because, to me, I was just doing my job. And probably like yourself, you know, when people try to shut you up, it, it, all it does is just, it strengthens your resolve to do the job. I'm an old school journalist, you know. You're an old school and, Yorkshireman. And I'm an old school Yorkshireman, <laughs> I don't like being told what to do, you know. And, and even, you know, so, a few years, so we get a new chief superintendent in Dewsbury, uh, in Kirklees, and <laughs> so the first thing she does is, um, I've just been filming daily politics at Westminster Studios, I've come out, phone call, um, did, Detective Constable so-and-so, can you go and uh, hand yourself into the nearest police station? I'm walking through London. I said, why? Can't tell you. We need to DNA you and fingerprint you. I said, no. <laughs> so I get back, I call my solicitor, and he says, well, whatever it is, Danny, you know, you, you need to. So I phone him up, and I said, well, I'm in Dewsbury on Monday, Tuesday, I'm in the office, so I'll pop along if you want, and I'll, um, I'll come and give with my solicitor, and I'll give her, you know, whatever you want under caution and I'll find out exactly what it is. It was actually an offence of littering. What year was this? This was 2018. After you wrote my book? Yeah, yeah. Mm. Also, I think after The Observer had kind of slated me for giving you an interview. Oh, this, uh, this so, so uh, let me get this. So, so the timeline is, a female was beaten, had her teeth smashed out in Batley, I believe, by, yeah. mus by some Muslim men. I went up, done an interview of her. The same time I was done an interview of her, you walked me around Batley and Dewsbury, just explaining. Explaining what we're talking about now. Yeah. And then 
the Observer National newspaper done a two-page spread attacking you. A two-page piece, yeah. As attacking you as, oh, um, just, you know, the guy that sows discontent in this community with his uh, outrageous, you know, reporting. Sort of reporting. You know, which, you know, I've not had a single com complaint about that book from the Muslim community, by the way. I have a lot of Muslim friends, as you do. Yeah. People just don't see that, yeah. you know. So, you know, when, when Mohammed Amin Panda was getting ridiculed by, for instance, BBC Radio 4. I rang his brother up, Shabir, leader of the council, still, still taking my phone calls, and he's saying, calling his brother all the things under the sun. So, <laughs> but, but you won't print that, will you, Danny? No, Shabir, you know. And you know, if, 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 if it's off the record with me, it's off the record. So. Yeah. But all of a sudden, the, it's, everything starts coming downhill from then. And um, I'm, so I phoned the constable up, the, the detective cell, I'm willing to come in to be interviewed under caution. Okay. On that Monday morning, I don't hear back from them. On that Monday morning, I'm driving into Dewsbury and I get run off the A64 by four BMWs full of armed police. And I'm locked up, um, held without being able to call my wife, transferred to Dewsbury, interviewed under caution, DNA and everything. For what crime? For, for, uh, for littering on the on the doorstep of the local MP. The local MP at that time, Paula Sheriff, she wrote for me. She wrote a column for me. She told the new chief superintendent, Julie Sykes, this isn't Danny Lockwood you've seen on that CCTV image. It's nothing like him. She said she'd, already so told, she'd already told she'd them it wasn't you. She'd already told them it wasn't me. And you've got armed police dragging And I've got armed police, yeah, you know. So, and, and, and then of course they throw you out of the police station and you cast 35 miles away, well you make your own way there, pal. And no charges? No charges. No, no. Because just done. Just, and, and, and when I complain, so I file an IOPC complaint, takes them a year to do that. And when it comes back, they say, oh, well, you know, you didn't get your phone call because the custody suite was very busy. Um, we didn't do that right because of this and blah, blah, because of that. And as for you offering to come in to be interviewed under caution, um, you know, Detective Constable Plod, um, when we examined his notes, he'd written uh, that Mr Lockwood had offered to come in to be interviewed under caution. And the Chief Superintendent and Detective Chief Inspector were stood listening to the conversation, by the way. And, and when we questioned him about that, Detective Constable Plot said, oh yes, I can see there how my note-taking um, doesn't really reflect what I meant to say. What I meant to say was Lockwood displayed uh, a come-and-get-me attitude. He says, so we're appalling that element of Mr. Lockwood's complaint, and uh, as a result... I'll come in Monday. <laughs> and, as a yeah, and as a result, uh, Detective Constable Plod has been spoken to by a senior officer about his note-taking, and that was it. See you later. <laughs> well, what, what, do you think, what do you think in 2018 their motive was behind that? What well, do you think? Well, I know that... The reason. Uh, well, the police... The, 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 you know, back in the day, back in the day, because remember, I've been editor there since 93. Yeah. The, a new chief super comes in, the first thing he does is he rings me, we, I go down, we have a coffee, we sit down, he says, tell me about the town's problems, tell me about how we can work together, what we can do for you, what you can do for us. It was, and it was a first name sort of relationship. These days... This new and, super and, comes in, she wants to let you know. And, and, and she's not the first, you know, she's not the first that's like this. You know, they even, they took the headquarters of the division out of Dewsbury into Huddersfield just to give themselves even more separation. Because every time the Muslim community got upset, the, the several hundred of them would descend on the police station and surround it. You know, sometimes complaining about me. 
<laughs> they didn't like an editorial or a story, but they put you know, pressure and, and numbers the, yeah, on and, the piece. And, and, and it was the same, the same characters involved with all of them. Um, so what, really? But the, you know, the police's attitude has changed towards that community and towards people like me, and so we were seen really as the. <coughs> Not as not as an ally in trying to uphold the fact. You're a problem because you're reporting what's going on. We're a problem because we're an uncomfortable truth in their presence. And so she was she was new in, you know, we'll, we'll show Lockwood who's boss, you know. That's that's so you dragged out of a car by armed police for nothing. For nothing, yeah. What about you spoke about you're a big guy, you, you talking to me about the effect on your family. You just said about the effect on your family because you're growing up. Your family are growing up. Yeah. In, where are your family living at this time? When you report, when you when you uh, run. Uh, well, we live right in the middle of Dewsbury. You know, so that I can hit a golf ball down Leeds Road and it'll roll into the back door of the town hall. So, but and my wife is not from the area. You know, so it was real culture change for her. She worked on Fleet Street when we met. Um, but it was more the kids. It was more the kids. You know, um, I. I could, I could, and still do. I can walk around Savile Town. You know, they had a big uh, Ishtima, a Muslim festival, about three or four years ago. Fifty thousand people descend on the town for a weekend. I went along to it. You know, when Hafiz Patel, the man that built the Makazi Mosque with Saudi money, when he passed away in 2015, I went to his funeral. You know, there's, there's like, there's two com police community support officers, eight thousand Muslim men, and me, my women. Oh no, there's no women, but, but, so, and I, did I feel unsafe? No. Now, do, do you think that's because they show a level of respect to you? Well, well. In the level that, in the level, because. One or two people on, on that occasion, one or two would say to me, so, what are you doing? You know, I said, I've come to pay my respects to Mr. Patel, you know, a big character in this town. I probably knew more about him than a lot of them did. Yeah. Some of the younger guys get a bit edgy, you know, but, <laughs> so what? Um, you know, and, and, and so they would, what are you doing here? You know, and I say, come to pay my respects, pal. You got a problem with that? Oh, they, they don't. So, so yeah, it, it's every day. But at that point, my son was twelve, thirteen. My daughter eleven, and they were of an age where their peer groups. And my son was at a Hetman Dwight Grammar School, which was very mixed. You know, um, and he was starting to get targeted because I was his dad. And by, I, by other Muslim kids. And, and and at that point, at that point. That's, you know, and I spoke to the headmaster about it and he basically put his hands up and said, what can we do, you know? Um, so that was it. I drove over to York, saw this beautiful bank conversion, rented it on the spot and literally within six, eight weeks had moved my family out, you know, um, and we're still in that area now. Uh, I'm, I'm in Dewsbury all the time. My family are all there still, you know, so, um, and I don't, you know, I'm, there are, there are parts of Dewsbury and Batley that have been no-go areas for a long, long time. Nobody, nobody would walk, no, no, any white bloke or woman walking through there on the night is asking for trouble now. Um, for a long, long for time. For a long, long time. For a long, long time. So the media, because the mainstream media would say that's a myth. No, it, it's, it's a, a lie. It's, it's, it, 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 it's absolute, and they police themselves, by the way. The police don't I, get caught. No, I, 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 I don't know if it's in my book, but I, I tell the story of a guy that was up doing a roof and there'd been a lot of, and somebody recognised his van. I said, that's the guy that's been going in and robbing Muslim uh, houses. houses. And all of a sudden there's a mob surrounding him, you know? The guy that owns the house comes back, said, whoa, 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 you've got the wrong guy here. I can vouch for this bloke, yeah? 
couple of days later, he gets a phone call. Oh, you're required to come to a meeting. Well, what's that about? It's in your best interest to come. Um, are you sure? Yeah, if you want to work in our community again, if you want to do any more roofing jobs, you're going to come. So he goes along and he goes in there and it's in the community hall in, um, in Savile Town. <laughs> And it's a Shariah Court. Shariah Tribunal. It's a Shariah Tribunal. <laughs> it's a Shariah Tribunal because they're going to, because they're, you know, this, this, are you willing to accept the apology and everything of this man who's led the rabble? If not, we will take action against him. And so he... Because they've know, disrespected he, the other Muslims. Because they've disrespected... Yeah, so he accepts the... He just wants to get out of there. So he accepts the, you know, the, the guy's apology. There's two police officers sat there. <laughs> Watching it. <laughs> There's two police officers overseeing, you know. So overseeing the Sharia Tribunal. Yeah. So you couldn't make it up, you know. And so I, I, it, it, so I put that to the West Yorkshire Police press office and you get nothing back, you know. No. Oh, this wasn't a Sharia thing. It was a community, community resolution. Meeting. Community resolution. Meeting, yeah. Right, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so it's, I, I could tell. In your opinion, for, some, for towns like Jewsbury now, what is the future for a town like And Batley, what is the future? Okay. Um, well, when I updated that book in 2015, I subtitled it Requiem, because that was basically me. Which means what? Uh, well, well that, that is like eternal rest. Uh, it's it's like the final, the closing tribute. Rest in it, peace, Dewsbury. Rest in peace, Dewsbury. It's, um, you know, yeah, we've thrown the last shovel of dirt on top of the coffin. Um, that's how I feel about Louis. Well, you know, and, and, and that's perhaps a little bit unfair, and that may well be me painting a bigger picture than some people will recognise on the ground yeah. because there's still a, a very large white community. The vast majority of my family still lives in the area. A lot of them have migrated out, you know, towards villages and communities a couple of miles out of town, you know, because, because the, there is unfortunately not been the sort of cultural mixing which sort of the, you know, the lovely lefties always hoped that we would get. And that's because just ideologically it is and certainly within dear bandis and you know and your salafi and wahhabis you know they it's forbidden to mix do you know we, what, are, st we are still the kuffar you know as much as there is a veneer of politeness and civility never the twain shall meet you know so and and like, do you know do you know that the, the gentleman who introduced us and bishop of pontefract when we had that meeting they said we've been having community we've been getting together as communities and we had a yeah. christmas a Christmas lunch, and then I just said, with these gentlemen here, I said, yeah, I said, was there, was there women there? No. Did you have wine? No. No. So you had a Sharia-compliant Christmas lunch. <laughs> so your idea to solve these solutions is to totally bend everything it's, it's you stand a, Yeah, and, and, you know, and they have interfaith groups. Hey, listen. Interfaith groups. You know, my, my newspaper, and, and it's, it's just a talking shop, and, it's, and, it, and again, it's just this art artifice to pretend that there is real community. Some of the Muslim community groups in Dewsbury and Batley do phenomenal work. Yeah. Phenomenal work. When there were the floods up in Lancaster, they were up there in numbers, you know, doing, doing really valuable charitable work. My newspaper is not that one-sided. We carry all the good news that comes out of those communities. And there's a lot of it. Yeah. Because that is our community. Yeah. You know, and if, and, and, if, and if we didn't do that, well then we would be rightly stigmatised yeah. as, as being racist. And that ain't, that ain't what we are or what we were, you know, because we wouldn't have lasted five minutes if we hadn't been trying to do a fair job, yeah? You know, and when, and when Shahid Malik lost his seat, 
you know. Um, I remember him coming into my, I remember him coming into my office in 2005, 2004 when he was going to run for office as MP, and he came and we shook hands and I said, okay, what, you know, what's what's your agenda, Shahid, apart from obviously being an ambitious young politician? Uh, well, I wanted to set something out straight first, Danny. I said, what's that? He said, I don't do packy politics. And I understood what he meant, you know. Which what is, did he mean? Well, uh, one set of politics for the mainstream, for the media, for journalists, for the, the, the wider community, but then a completely set of politics where he is reflecting the demands of the mosques and of his own community. So, you know, he was two-faced, two-faced, two-faced politics. Now, we know that they all are, but not when it's so ideologically kind of divided. But he, he, you know, he assured me I don't do that, Danny. And I think that in the, I think in his heart of art, because I got along well with him for long enough. He gave, he, you know, I gave him, a, I gave him a chance, and he gave me a chance, and and, and it was pretty fair, you know. And when, uh, you know, even though Saeed Abbasi ran against him, now Baroness Barsi, and that a laugh, you know, even though she ran against him, you know, and I effectively gave her a first public platform writing in my newspaper, you know, it, it to me, I, I don't do party politics on that level. I'm just trying to be fair to everybody and, and give an open forum for debate. And I, I give Malik the chance to prove that he was as good as his word, and he wasn't. You know, and flash forward and he sat with Dewsbury's villain-in-chief, uh, 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 a remarkable little scrot called Terry Zaman, Tahir Zaman. Um, uh, I don't mind saying that. He's the mobster, the man gang leader of he, well, he's, criminality. He's, he, he, well, allegedly. He's, 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 he's more of a. He dresses up like the prophet, does Terry. He, he dresses all in white, you know, flowing robes, hat on, and everything. And last I heard, he was reportedly on the run. I don't know if that's true. He'd been struck off as a director uh, for massive fraud. He's. But he has untold influence over the Labour Party politics. Uh, it, was, it was in court, 2000, I want to say 2019, he was doing court and one of his witnesses he was calling was the local white councillor, Paul Kane, who was head of, head of planning. And, and Terry was up for a, a, a for breach in planning regulations and the night before he was due to appear, Paul Kane hung himself. The councillor, only himself. The Labour councillor. Yeah, because he'd been. Yeah, we, nobody could prove anything. I went with his girlfriend to the inquest. Well, maybe he hung himself. I, I, I went. Oh, pretty, yeah, yeah. No, he he, he 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 was he was humiliated. I know this personally because I knew his girlfriend well. He was personally humiliated that he was having to give evidence on behalf of Theresa Mann. Who's known locally. Who's known as just... Am a, I right there? Long and and, 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 and it, 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 it's terrible and it's tragic. I consider Paul a friend of mine. Even though Labour Party don't get along with me, we lived on the same road. You know, mm. I, I knew, I've known Paul a lot of years, but tragically um, he yeah, ended his so. life. And, and the judge, of course, didn't want to know... Uh, the judge, the, 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 the coroner, just, we're not here to determine why Mr. Kane did this, but how he died. And, and he says, and I'm not, I am not, you know, I am not taking this here in this inquest outside of that orbit. And so that was that. So, but yeah, as a, as a man, um, he's, his time will come.
currently wanted possibly for well I've, I've you know the word has it that he's wanted it in connection with the operate you know the, the sort of historic sex crime operations that we've referred i can't you know that that as far as i'm concerned has to remain hearsay because okay. but i did get a phone call a few, few months ago to, from a, a contact uh, a, a muslim uh, businessman who rang me from uh, islamabad I said, Danny, I said, hello, how are you doing, mate? Where are you? I said, I'm in Islamabad, you won't believe who I've just run, run into. I said, who? He says, I said, not our little friend, Terry. Yeah, Terry's a man. I said, what's he doing in Islamabad? He said, you tell me, but um, I understand he's got more trouble coming Did, did you find with the Muslim group, because when I was doing my investigations into Telford, not just Telford, actually, in Barrow as well. In Barrow, a lot of them opened their doors to me, were very welcoming and giving me a lot of information. Did you find over the years when you're doing your investigations up there yeah. that rival families, rival oh, fractions, oh, rival oh. criminal gangs? Listen, they, they, they fall out on an industrial scale, yeah. you know? And, um, and, and yeah, so it, it will at different times. When, 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 when Sayyid Avasi divorced her, her imported husband, yeah? The arranged marriage. The, yeah, the arranged marriage. She divorced him and she, and she married. And I'd seen her at one or two functions. Um, oh, crikey, who was the... the, who was the the Queen, uh, the, the the former Prime Minister of Pakistan, the lady, she was assassinated. My mind's, you, you know what I mean. Yeah. Beautiful lady. I'm, 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 um, she came to Dewsbury Town Hall and Saida invited me along as a guest and I'd seen Saida with this one eligible, you know, chap, good looking bloke, businessman. I thought they're about the same age, they were at school together. Uh, and so I, I kind of sensed there was something more than met, met the eye there. And um, sure enough, suddenly they get there married. And uh, she'd got a, a, a quick divorce in the Sharia court. Sharia divorce. Yeah, and I get a phone call and it's the best friend of her ditched husband saying, you do know that the fellow she's married, Still married, his wife doesn't know that she's been divorced. I said, get away. So. I look into this and it was absolutely true. All he's done is he's moved his wife, mother of his three or four kids, he's moved her across the road in with his in-laws. She barely speaks a word of English because she was an imported bride. He doesn't have a passport. And she doesn't even know. She doesn't even know that he's She doesn't even know that he's divorced and got She doesn't speak English, doesn't so matter the house. So I thought, that's too good a story for me. So I phoned up the news editor of the Mail on Sunday. I said, I've got a belter here for you lads, you know. <laughs> so I thought, <laughs> a nice thousand, nice thousand quid in my back pocket, yeah. you know. And they did a big expose, the Baroness who's, you know. The Baroness who's, who's dating you know. the man who's still married. Who's married the man that's still married. Well, she's, no, he had divorced her. Okay. She just didn't know. She didn't know. <laughs> so, yeah, listen, I mean, all the world's a stage. And in a, in a town like Dewsbury, you know, you've no shortage of vested interests who are playing one another off against themselves. But at the same time, and like when, I caught, when I'm training young journalists and some of the ones I've sort of developed over the years, have done far better in journalism than I have. Yeah. You know, far more household names than I'll ever be. But it ain't, you know, you just can't take anything at trust. Yeah. You know, everybody that comes here with a story... There's an agenda. There's an agenda or an angle, you know. So how many sites to a story are there? Two, boss. No, there's a lot more than two. There's however many sites to a story as bear witness to it, yeah? yeah. So... Listen, you know, you, you do just do the, just be diligent, do the job, and at times you'll have to make judgment calls. That's what part of it's about, you know. That's the process, and you're gonna have to at times trust your gut. 
But the fact is, you know, there are, there's, there are mechanisms that you're being taught here that will guide you through being a good journalist, you know. So, Do you see uh, many good journalists out there now? I don't see any. The one or two, you know. Do you think they're journalists actually, reports? But actually, when I say good journalists, um, a lot of them, uh, 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 the people who characters, characterise themselves as journalists now, for instance, on GB News, they're not journalists. They may well be in name, but they're just opinionators. They're, they're just there to pontificate and, and, and kind of represent their own newly narrowed sort of narrative. And that's fine, but that's not what a journalist does. You know, a journalist explores, examines, inquires, informs, entertains, you know, that's the case. If, you, if you're good at what you do. Um, and within that, you hope that the disciplines that you've learned over the years serve you well. Um, I'm not going to embarrass this lad by naming him, but he was one of the, you know, one trainee that I developed and sent on his way. And, and he's got a terrific job and profile. And he's a good journalist and he works on a national newspaper. His byline's on front pages every day. Um, and I know that he's doing his job. But his job is, if you like, within a particular orbit. Controlled. It's Yeah, it's he's, he's not... He doesn't have free reign to go off and do this, do that. Well, I got offered a job by Jonathan Holborough when he was the editor of the Mail on Sunday. And, and he obviously saw something in me at that time. And he said, I, I want you to be my man at large, Danny. You know, Baghdad next week if it's over there. Hollywood next week if it's over there. You know, and I'm thinking, wow, wow, wow. What an opportunity, you know. But at the time, I was the editor-in-chief of a newspaper group. Two young kids. Could I, could I do that to my wife and family? Uh, and I couldn't at the time, you know. So, you, you know, you, you make decisions. At that time, I would have, I think I would have taken my honesty to a, to, to a you know, on, onto a national newspaper yeah, where, where, where I'd like to think that I maintained that sort of integrity. How long I would have been allowed to is a different thing altogether, isn't it? You know, back then maybe I would have got away with it. These days, absolutely not. I, I just think that it's, it's it, unless you've got a particularly high profile and you can get away, you know, with, 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 with opinion pieces, um, that it's mostly controlled and never more so than through the pandemic, obviously. Well, I'll just tell you straight, Danny, over the last few years, over the last however many years, if I, if I, I, there's not many people I ring for an opinion and I know you tell me straight, you're being an arsehole, you're this, you're going to fuck that. You know, so there's not many people who you can speak to in a black and white way or who give you the true account of it and you're one of them. Well, you're, you're, you're on this, if I was ringing and saying, what do you think of this? Yeah, well... Because I know you're going to tell me straight. Well, that's, you know... I, 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 <laughs> Don't I, be a dickhead. I'm I'll, take, <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll take it as a compliment. I'll take it as a compliment. But, but you know, you can only... Listen, in life, we all come this way once. Yeah. And if you can't be true to yourself, what's the point? Yeah, and that's the shame of my what my profession. I was remember I was chairman of the Yorkshire Guild of Editors when we had probably thirty editors, you know, of of of, of proper newspapers uh, around the county. I was a director of the UK Guild of Editors. That's now the Society of Editors. I signed the paper that transformed the guild, the UK Guild, to the UK Society. You know, I've spoken at the national conferences. I. You know, I was incredibly proud of my profession and my history within it, yeah? Um, and now 
I, I'm ashamed. It's almost like being at an AA meeting, you know. My name's Danny and I'm a journalist, you know. Uh, and Alternative journalist, that's what I tell people. Well, Susan, what do you do? Well, I'm an alternative well, journalist. Don't worry, I'm not one of them. No, I'm, I'm not the one that's changed. Yeah, I'm not the one that's changed. They have, and they've got to look in the mirror and, you know, and, and they're the ones that have got to say, you know, am I, am I being honest? And most of them are. But the, unfortunately, what, what's happened as well is we've trained a new generation of journalists in this alternative like world. Uh, world, you know. And so in that, I guess I'm a dinosaur, you know. But that's the way it is. That's one thing label you're a dinosaur. Um, John Sweeney labelled you something very different. So in, in my Panorama expose, when I had the undercover recording and Lucy Brown recorded John Sweeney, and he was talking about someone from the Amazonian rainforest. He was yeah. talking about meeting a working class man in the green room. Yeah, it's like, so did he describe it as like being something from like from outer space? From outer space, yeah. it was something like a creature. Because you were a creature. I'd been on Newsnight because I've been on quite a few times, and we're in the green room having a beer, and and Sweeney's come down and, and we're sort of of an age of a generation. I'd never met him before, but I'd met, we had a lot of... We knew he's a lot a bit, of he was a big school journalist. Oh, yeah, yeah. And we knew a lot of the same people, but he knew me by reputation as well. And um, so we had a couple of beers, and he was a two-faced arsehole. Because, you know, he actually came to have a laugh at the, the flat-voweled West Yorkshire, you know... Working-class man. Working-class bloke, which, you know, I think probably the producers at news like, oh, God, we've got a keeper here. Look, oh, he sounds just like, you know... The man just like the bitch, just sounds like the rest of the people. <laughs> you know, so, and of course, I was a, a, you know, an ardent Brexiteer, so I could at least articulate uh, my, my views on that. And and so when when I... <laughs> when I sent you... When you sent me the clip of... <laughs> oh, as soon as I heard it, I was like... When you sent me the clip of, of Sweeney saying that about me, I, I phoned up a, a very senior person at the BBC, nominally his boss. And I said, have you got Sweeney's number? Can I have it? She says, why? I says, because I owe him a slap. <laughs> oh, Danny, you know, I said, yeah, and I've just heard what he called me, you know, when he was getting pissed up and being played for the fool he is. Yeah, John's not like that. John really respects you. I said, yeah, he'll respect me when he's had a flat of my hand around his chops, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, no, no. Well, you just tell him Lockwood owes him one. <laughs> so, anyway, you know. It'd be enough just to say, boo. Yeah, I And watching shit is pants. Yeah. <laughs> From the Amazon. Um, what, you, we mentioned contempt. You mentioned contempt. <laughs> yeah. We went through one contempt where someone tried to report you for contempt earlier. Yeah. You faced a few contempt court charges. Yeah, 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 yeah. The trial I've, I've had, yeah, I've had, you know, a, a, um, a friend of mine was a, a, attacked by, it was in a, a massive fight. A group of rugby lads, mates of mine, went out for a Sunday afternoon drink and they suddenly found themselves attacked by a huge mob of, uh, I think they were, I'm not sure if they were Syrian, I think they were Iraqi, Iraqi refugees, I believe, that were being housed in Dewsbury and there'd been a fallout between a couple of guys and these guys just turned up with machetes and cricket bats and everything and they attacked these guys and one of them drove his car into them and he hit my friend Lee Massey. Lee ended up in a coma. A couple of times they asked his, his wife to turn off his life support machine. She refused. And three months later, he walked back into the consultant's office. He survived, he survived it. He, he came around. He survived it. it. Yeah. But it took the police nearly two years to arrest these guys because they just then split, went everywhere. And, um, and at the trial itself, the judge threw out, the, he dismissed the charges against all but one of them, the guy that drove the car, because he said the landlord mixed up 
the um, a couple of the identities. So, 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 so two guys who had been stabbed, their wife and mother, were just outraged at this trial basically being just, just shelved. Yeah. And and so, I, I, so I reported that. And, uh, and then the judge, Alistair McCallum, I think it was, if I've got his name right, he halted the trial, summoned me up for contempt because there was, the case was still ongoing against this one guy that drove the car. Um, uh, dismissed the jury, said he was moving the trial from Leeds to Bradford Crown Court because of what I'd done and why should he not charge me the full cost of what he's had to do. And you're supposed to go in there and, you know, cap in hand and, and sorry, you know, sorry, Your, your Honour, um, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, yes, I'm so really sorry, but I think you got it wrong. I said, w w w apart from anything else, my local newspaper couldn't prejudice this trial because it took the police so long to find them, arrest them, bring the charges and everything else that everything is in the public domain. You know, that you couldn't draw a juror from my readership area. Because they're, they're all tainted, if you like, with their understanding of, of what happened. And they followed this young man's story as he's recovered miraculously. You know, so, I, I, and so moving it from Leeds to Bradford makes no sense at all. Because, <laughs> you know, they're both 10 miles from Deuteron. We don't circulate in that area. So your jury pool is not going to be, there's no way I could have prejudiced it. And, and, the, and, and, and really the bottom line on contempt is, one, apart from your respect for the proceeding and the law and the courts, is also, are you prejudicing prejudicing you know the actual trial itself so I argued I thought fairly that we there was no way that we could be in contempt and he kind of was going redder and redder he said we'll see what the Attorney General has to say about that and um, and stormed out and, and you never hear anything about it and there was another you know there'd been a couple of other so ones but, but he did collapse the trial get a new jury and yeah, move, and the fortune unnecessarily and the guy was found guilty and so went I, down when I, when, I, when I hear that and I hear of there's lots of circumstances like this, yeah. and I think I got 13 months in jail for just. Well, well, I, you know, and I was at the old Bailey when when it came second, you know, when they done me the second time. Yeah, I was at the old Bailey, and and you understand more than probably anybody in the country, but I, and, and I understand more than probably any journalist in the country that the judiciary is not fit for purpose, that the system is now no longer fit for purpose, uh, and what you witnessed in your, you know, the the, the egregious the contemptible decisions made by Matthew Nicklin in that trial, I thought, were, were just... He was my Mackenzie friend, so people understand. I struggled, I didn't have a lawyer, I, I spent £100,000 on lawyers, couldn't afford any more lawyers. Uh, Danny agreed to be my Mackenzie friend because I knew he was aware of law, he was aware of the, as, as a journalist, and so Danny agreed to help me with my trial. Yeah, so, so, you sat I, so I sat there through every minute of it, and I witnessed what I thought was a, a, an absolutely appalling contempt by the judge. No, that's my opinion, you know, the decision, unfortunately we now have a system where he is not just judge and jury, he is God, uh, and, and you're having to live with the pain of that. Uh, back in my day, I had it a little bit differently, um, because, but, jury. But, because I had a jury in libel, but in the contempt, and been a couple of other contempts, and, and I was recent, recently a Mackenzie friend in the family court for a woman whose son was taken away from her, funnily enough, by the Patel Mafia in Sabletown. Her, her drug dealing, her drug dealing, armed robbery, father of her son, she didn't know when she got pregnant by him, you know, was working for the Patel Mafia in Savilltown. So they funded all of his case when he wanted to come out of prison and he suddenly wanted his son. 
she had no, she'd run out of money. So I agreed to be her Mackenzie friend. I exposed her corrupt lawyer who accepted a bribe off the Patels, accepted a bribe to get her and her son's passport so they couldn't go on holiday. I confronted him with that, got him out of the scene really quickly. And then I became a Mackenzie friend for her. Now in the family court, you can report nothing. So there was no, there was no payback for me in this. I couldn't write the story at any point. Did she get to keep her son? So we get to the point where I've got a video of that little boy being dragged out from underneath the table in a police station by a detective chief inspector and physically dragged away and taken to his dad, who he's terrified of. You know, I got photographs of where the kid's been beaten by his dad, who said, oh, we were just playing around. So I, I was deliberately in contempt. I sent those videos and images to, among others, Shabir Pando, leader of the council, to the Police and Crime Commissioner for West Yorkshire, to MPs. I sent it far and wide. Didn't put it in my paper. Because you're not being, short of that. But, not but I was in contempt by spreading all of that. I was in contempt, and I knew it. <clears throat> but I also, I also knew the judge. In that case, had vested interests, and I can't say why because that would I, that would put me really in a spot. But on the final, when it finally, when he finally came to the final decision, he gave, he gave custody to the girl, to the dad for a while, but we kept on fighting. And then ultimately, on the final day, he stood up, uh, he, said, he, he, he read out his verdict, he said, I've had a real think about this. The mother, apart from anything else, was a, a registered foster carer. That's how suitable she was. Yeah, she's a good woman. Uh, and he just did a, a 180 degree turn. And he awarded full custody to her. If you had, a... wait, wait. At which point, the solicitor for Kirkley's counsel gets up and says, "At this point, you know, uh, Your Honour, we want to bring contempt charges against Mr. Lockwood. He's, he's, he's been deliberately in contempt of this court, and we think he should be. You should charge him with contempt for spreading all these images and all this stuff." And the judge at that point <laughs> said, uh, "They said." Um, I think on the whole, Mr. Lockwood was acting in the child's best interest. So, you know, it was it was trying to do what was best for the child. So I'm not going to proceed with any action against Mr. Lockwood, which disappointed me. Because if he'd have gone after me for content... You'd have got him on what you asked. That would not have been in family court. That would have been back in open court system. And I could have said, and I could have brought evidence of what I knew had gone on between CAFCAS, which is the, uh, the sort of like the child... And child and family um, advisory service, mm. um, social services, the Patel Mafia, and that judge. I, I knew what had gone on, and I couldn't, uh, it, it wasn't my forum to expose it because I was just advising. I couldn't speak for you. You know, I could only advise and help, and, uh, uh, and that's the situation I had with the mother in that case. But if they'd have come after me, then you'd have got it out in the public. Then I could have gone all guns. It, with what you've experienced there, because I've how many mothers have had come up to me, English Defence League demonstrations, at demonstrations around the country, <clears> who have cried, have shown me pictures of their children, have said they've kidnapped, they've taken my kids off me. They've taken them. Yeah? Do you believe from your experience there that there is corruption involved in the uh, taking the, of children? The, there is corruption. There is also... Um, Complete and utter innocent idiocy. You've got you've got social workers that are 22, fresh out of university. You know, 
They've only just started wiping their own asses, let alone passing judgment on a situation where, you know, you've got... A, that, the guy in that case was quite a charming rogue, yeah? So, yeah, he's yeah. very yeah. nice. One of the, one of the, he's a nice dad. The lead, the lead woman in the case uh, that's taking the child off, off the mother, she's basically... Found that she's, you know, she's, she's, she's an overweight 40-odd-year-old and she's fallen in love with this charming rogue. You know, oh, he could never do anything wrong to the child. So, <laughs> yeah. You know, do you want me to take you to where he grows his cannabis and where he stores all his stolen goods? Because mm. I'm sure you. Mm. That's the investigative <laughs> journalist, Danny, Danny again. Huh? So you, you know, your, well, investiga your investigative powers come out again. Well, you just do, no, you just do the job. You yeah, yeah, you done people, the job. You ask questions. You know, you go poking, poking and prodding where you know. Sometimes it might not be wise to. You know, I've put myself in some occasionally. You must have wound <laughs> them up, the criminals I'm on about, the criminals from the Islamic community. Well, it must have been a thorn in their side more know, than any police investigation. I mean, I got a phone call from a detective chief inspector once on the same A64 where I got run off by the armed police. It was about half five in the morning. I got finally, I got to Leeds Bradford Airport. I was flying down to New Yorker on, on a job. So I'm also a golf journalist. <laughs> but um, I says, yeah, Mr. Lockwood, yeah, we've, in, we've got intelligence that, you know, the group of people of interest. Um, I'm trying to find out where you live. <clears throat> and this was after I'd moved over to the York area. Once you've gone to York, so. Yeah, yeah. I said, okay. I said, I could probably tell you who they are. He <laughs> says, well, you know, he said, are you worried? I said, listen, the postman can't find our house. <laughs> well, I, said, if, I said, if four of them characters come driving up and down our little country village, they're going to stand out like sore thumbs. I said, no, the only worry I have is if you tell my wife. You know, because then I'm in trouble. <laughs> I said, so I know the feeling. I said, so no, no. I said, <laughs> I said well, you know, we've, we, it's, due, it's due diligence. We've got to do it. We'll inform our colleagues at North Yorkshire Police. I said, yeah, cool, whatever. You know, I'll probably be seeing those guys, you know, this week. I'll, I'll go wind them up a bit more, you know. So, because I know it was a man and his mates. <clears throat> so, I don't, yeah, you know. It's, it's just, it comes, it comes with the territory. They know that they don't bother me. Not, do, 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 do you think that these sort of things are why some mainstream journalists don't investigate them? Do you know the, the, the basics you're talking about? You're talking about threats. So you get your children were threatened. I know, I know you've received dozens of threats. Yeah. Yeah. Threats, 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 threats. You're brushing them off quite as a man. But do you think this might be the reason why some mainstream journalists yeah. shy away from confronting this issue? I don't know. I, I can't speak for them. Yeah, 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 yeah. You okay. know, I can only say what I've seen. You know, I've worked with some cracking journalists. I didn't learn all this myself, you know. It's only in the recent, you know my recent Telford Rape of Britain series? Yeah. When they started blowing up 26 fire moments, yeah. then they went to my mum's, then they went to other houses, then they went to all the victims' houses, and I thought, maybe this is why the journalists don't touch it. Well, no. For the first time. But that wouldn't have happened to another journalist. That's because it was Tommy Robinson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If another journalist. That, you know, okay. And the police are not in, absolutely not interested in protecting or investigating on your behalf. Yeah. You know, you've, you, I, I, if they'd done that to a mainstream journalist, they'd be the army. I'm... The arm. I'm, I'm Apart from the fact that mainstream journalists don't particularly do that, I mean, okay, so I have, but, um, and I'm, I'm not, I'm not kind of a hero here, by the way. You know, I'm, I try to be sensible about what I'm doing and where I'm doing it. Um, th there's no sort of gung ho element to this. I am just doing a job at the bottom line, and you know, and I mean, certainly on my newspaper, the press, I'm the publisher. I would have an editor, yeah, uh, and it was a really good one. 
And so there were times when we were going to press, I would say to him, David, you're I'm, I'm accepting resignation now. Because you, <laughs> you didn't want him to get the heat. You know, if, if, we're, if we're running if, the story, if, if, if it's the not... If the building's still standing on Monday, you can have your job back, you know, because yeah. I knew that we were, we were pushing a bit too hard in particular directions. But that was just what the job was. And, and, and actually, when people know what they're dealing with, you know, it's by and large, they understand the laws, they understand the rules. There's no, there is no real mileage in them. I think we got a brick through our window once okay. in 20 years, you know. So, so it's all a bit of fear tactics. So, yeah, and, and actually, the intimidation and the bullying works for the most part. Yeah. You know, I mean, my little mate Terry's a man. He once went to the trouble of paying to have an entire newspaper published attacking me. Really. What, and, he, and he's explained. Well, because I'd, I'd, I'd just bust another one of his scams. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'd, exposed, I'd exposed this massive uh, real estate scam he had. And just, and God knows how much he'd lost with it. So, so he got this. He got the, <laughs> he must he, hate he got, you, bro. He got the son of the, an ex mayor of Bradford to publish a newspaper. And he sent it. He sent it to every politician in Kirklees. He sent it to every news agent because he was trying to get them to stop them selling, selling your papers. Selling my papers. Trying to affect your business. He sent it to, because I owned a rugby league publication as well. He sent it to every rugby club in the country. And he sent it to everybody that lives in my village. And it was just a big picture of me. And the headline said, Communities divided. You know, and then it was turning the page two and three. And it's just this big attack on this man Lockwood is blah, 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 blah. So I found the editor up. <laughs> I says, where do you get that photograph on the front page? He said, uh, I don't know why, I'm just off the internet. I said, because I have copyright on that, it's my photograph. I said, that's going to cost you six grand. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, or I'm taking, I said, or I'm, I said, I'll take out the court case now if you want. They give you six grand. I don't think it, oh, no. it didn't end up being, it didn't end up being that much, but it, yeah, it you signed, just it, it it. a nice big check. Did he? Uh, yeah, I think it might have been about 600 quid. Terry's a man. If you're watching yeah. this. Yeah, so, so, so it was like, you know, so there's people coming out to, to the wife, because my wife is, I try to keep her oblivious to most of, most of this. Yeah. So there's people coming to the house saying, Danny, we've just got a newspaper with you on the front page. I said, it's a nice picture though, isn't it? <laughs> so, hey, you know. Talk to me about, there was a famous murder of a politician. Joe Cox. Joe Cox. That was in, in well, it was in Bristol. In Bristol, you know, if if Dewes was two miles from Batley Town Hall, um, Batley Town Hall's two miles sort of from Bristol. Okay. Um, Joe's office was literally on the same street as mine Did in Batley, because by that time we'd moved offices from Dewsbury to Batley. Okay. And so it was literally hundred yards from Joe's Joe's office. Um, Did you know Joe? I didn't know. No, less than I knew other uh, MPs. But then again, she hadn't been in the job that awfully no. long. You know, um, when you know, you know, I mean, by this time, as, as a publisher running three different publications, publishing books, and doing all the things that we did, I wasn't so much, you know, when we got big stories, that's when I put on, you know, put on the journalist's investigative trilby and got into it. But for the most part, I left it to my staff. So, but I was in the office that Thursday afternoon, and uh, when I got a, and I got a phone call from an ex rugby pal of mine, and he'd witnessed it. It's seen, it's seen Thomas Mayer cross the street, shoot and stab her, um, and then take off on uh, my friend Clark. He ran to his van. Uh, he ran to his van and set off trying to find Mayer, trying to track him down. 
and he was a witness at the trial at the, at the Old Bailey, which I was obviously I covered. Um, the ironic thing is, uh, and, and that was used to sow division again, and your name would have been thrown into the mix. And, and Thomas May as a far-right extremist, and um, although he was far more influenced by um, South African, uh, was he the South Af Yeah, when they when they went finding evidence of his sort of political leanings in the house, there was all kinds of memorabilia. Some of it was Nazi, some of it was South South African, a little bit of it was KKK, you know, Ku Klux Klan, and and he was a real oddball. And I actually helped another journalist who was trying to write, who got a commission to write a book on Mayor, you know, and the fact is, he just literally was a blank page. He had no affiliations with anyone. Anywhere in that town, and and one of the strangest things for me is because this this journalist friend of mine started writing to Mayor in in prison, in prison and uh, and finally got a reply. And, and Mayor said he would meet him, talk to him, yeah, because of course he, he, he gave he no never evidence, said word, never said a word to anybody. And the one thing that they never found out was where he got that gun from. You know, we point. know we know it was stolen from the back of a vehicle about probably 15, 18 miles away. He didn't drive. He didn't know where to get there. So wherever he got this, that's the one outstanding question. Where did he get the firearm? Where did he get the firearm? The firearm was stolen weeks before, yeah. months before. And, 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 and so in this journalist who got Mayor's ear, it, we had the one chance to find out where did he get where he got his gun. And they wouldn't allow him to visit. They wouldn't allow him to question. They wouldn't allow him to visit. Why? Why? Because I saw a lot of questions over that case. Yeah, there were things about it that just didn't add up. Just didn't. Do you know the witnesses? Talk to me about you sat in on the court trial of this yeah. case. Yeah? There was a ha handful of witnesses. There were about, I think there were seven or eight give seven, evidence. Seven or eight give evidence. They all gave different descriptions Yeah. of the killer. Yeah. I used that in my training because, of course, the judge could have, for instance, we go back to the Lee Massey one where the judge threw out all those cases against the. The, the Muslim, the Iraqi refugees. The, the, the refugees. Using that same logic, he could have thrown out the case against Mayer because he was this tall, he was this tall, he, he had this colour hair, he had no hair, he, you know, he, he was wearing this sort of coat, that sort of coat. It just everybody, you know, and, but, uh, and in fact... It's, and that, that's what you spoke about earlier, there's how many different sides to the story. How many different people? sides to the story, you know, he said this, he shouted that. No, he didn't, he said this. And, and, and it was... He stabbed her first. No, he shot her first. It was it, it literally, and, and it was an exercise in what I try to teach. Yeah. In, in, but when you are traumatized like that, when you are traumatized like that, y y your brain scrambled, you know, and then ultimately it becomes affected by what you read or hear about it from other people. Afterwards. And then by the time you've got the court nine months later, you know, mm. it's so there has to be, uh, the, the fact is it was him. It was absolutely him. I mean, we watched the video evidence of it in court. Yeah, she was a mother, right? She was a mother. Yeah, two kids, and um, I think I, her husband came out afterwards against me quite a few times. I don't well, even know. Well, he, he was he was an oddball. He never showed up for the. He only showed up for the last day of the trial. When he paid a sex now, he, he uh, the, the, I think that there had been there had been complications in their marriage. Let's okay. put it like that. And there were allegations about his behaviour at work. Yeah, some <laughs> some charity. He so was, now her sister Kim Ledbeater is now the. She's now the politician. She's, she's now the MP. Yeah, she, she's she MP. got the she got the job after Tracy Brabin uh, went to be the oh the Eastenders, the uh, Coronation Street, Coronation Street one. She went to be the mayor of West Yorkshire, the new sort of um, 
the new sort of newly appointed mayor, Tracy. And so, um, so Kim, Kim Ledby to, got the job, which was wonderfully ironic because she is now the poster girl for the Muslim community because they basically control her, control it and her and all of the local politics. And of course, she's a lesbian. So, but that but she'll do whatever she she'll do as she's told. But we don't we don't we don't we don't do that. I can't tell you if she's doing a good job or bad because I'm no longer <clears throat> my newspaper closed down at the start of the pandemic. The press <clears throat> and 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 doesn't doesn't publish anymore. So can we get, can we get to what there there was a, something around that one there as well with regards to well we lost we you know uh, you can only do a job like ours as rigorously as we did for so long before it comes back to bat you on the backside, and it did. And ultimately, um, we had a local authority contract for all of their public uh, notice advertising, you know, which was a big part of our revenue stream. It had taken us, crikey, 15 years to win it off the usual reporter. The usual reporter were charging the council taxpayers of Kirklees an absolute fortune. They were pulling the council's pants down. It took us all those years to be able to competitively tender and when we did and ticked all the boxes we walked away with the contract because and we were saving council taxpayers i don't know 100 200 pounds a year and yet it was still a big part of our revenue stream you know in a marketplace obviously which is declining because with the demographic changing as it does in dewsbury and batley you know becoming more and more muslim you've got less traditional advertisers for a product like ours mm. and so ultimately um the guy that awarded us the contract, lost his job on the back of it, and they brought in another guy, and he was basically told, get that contract off Lockwood. So they found the most ridiculous excuse for disbarring us from the tender process. They disbarred you from even tendering? Yeah, yeah. well, they just said, yeah, you've actually, on here, you've, you've, we, we've phrased something wrongly, incorrectly, so we're ruling you out of the process. And they gave, they didn't even, and they didn't even give the contract back to the usual reporter. They gave it to a media agency in Scotland. How much for, John? Well, it would have probably, it would have been, if, I, if our contract was, if we were, I, I, I can't say, no. except it would have been an awful lot of money. And so all they did is, all they did was buy the space from the usual reporter no. and take their 10% cut. No. And, and so, and, and that basically finishes. We, after that, the business just really wasn't sustainable. But then, of course, literally pandemic came anyway, mm. closed everything down. And we just, we, you know, we were, we were sort of like swimming against the tide. And During your last, last of a generation, do you think that, there's any investigative journalism going uh, on now in Batley and Dewsbury? No, oh, no, there's no, well, back when I ran the Dewsbury Reporter and I was the acting managing director and editor-in-chief in the last year, um, on three and a half million pounds, I had four officers, five officers, and 90 odd staff. And on the three and a half million pound turnover, we made over a million pound profit my last year there. And, uh, <laughs> and now they've got no officers and no staff. They have just a couple of um, nominal uh, reporters working out of the Yorkshire Post Office in Leeds. And, and it's just all clickbait. It's, they just lift stuff off Facebook, you know, they, it's not journalism. They wouldn't, you know, they couldn't even, they couldn't find their way around the town without a sat-nav, let alone understand it to the depth that we felt we had to in order to do a responsible job. Do you think that our politicians should understand 
the different sects of Islam. After coming out of somewhere like Jewsbury, where you're aware of the Diabandis, you're aware of... The, you've got some Sufis up there, right? Yeah, yeah, Sufis, Beralvis. Yeah, so yeah. And, 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 and that's why I say, you know, when, I, when, I, when I'm taking a journalist or an author, you know, round the town, I'm, I'm explaining the... I'm explaining the, the economics of the community as much as I am the politics and the religious elements of it. So, you know, the kind of our, our political classes kind of basically get Shia and Sunni. And beyond that, they're really not interested, you know. Yeah. So it would be, you'd, you'd like to think that they were informed. Um, by and large, it just doesn't occur to them because it's a problem that they don't want to really address. It's something that they don't want to talk about, let alone deal with all of the complexities and the problems that it brings with it into a community and into a town. So, you know, um, I think it's out of sight, out of mind for the vast majority of them. Uh, and that's a shame. But then again, you look around at our political classes from, you know, clowns like Boris Johnson to, you know, uh, someone like Rishi Sunak who's owned by a cabal of globalists. And, you know, I, I don't think he has... Yeah, here's me going off on one. But now let's go down there. I don't think. No, I don't think he has. Any, he and Jeremy Hunt know that they're out of a job. This, you know, next 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 autumn, end of next year. They know headlines was the column that I've written since 1993. So 40 years on, I'm still writing the same headlines column on Facebook. You know, and I, I was Yorkshire columnist of the year. I won that award, and, and and so I still write it and put it out online. And I have a go at all kinds of things from local in Kirklees. You know giving Terry's a man a prod now and again, but also to everything that's out there that I still want to talk about. Um, and I, and I, I, I think soon I can hunt. I think they know what they're doing and they'll be glad when they're out of there because their futures are assured outside of that viper's nest, which is the House of Commons, you know. So what was your views on COVID? You know what my views on COVID. Yeah, I know, I want to hear it. <laughs> I want yeah, to go there. Yeah. Well, I want to go there because there weren't many people who, I, when I met, were as strong or passionately felt about it as you did. Uh, yeah, I, I felt passionately about but, it. You know, met you I, at the I did, time. I did. Here's one for you with the BBC. Because I won't do the BBC anymore. I won't do news now. They kept, they kept asking me for a couple of years. And I, in the end, I just said, let's stop calling. I'm not, I'm not going to do it with you. But I did a, a show 18 months ago, maybe two years now. Uh, and BBC too were doing a, a, a series called Womanhood, and they had a bunch of female celebrities in a, in a house in Batley, of all places. And they rang me up because I own a publication called The Yorkshire Golfer to say, "Oh, Danny, do, do you know a, a, a golf club locally that would we want to do a piece on you know the masculine uh, element of golf clubs? And is it really you know?" Is, is it bisexual? Yeah. Is, is, is it, is it is really it, respectful of women and inclusive? Is so, golf misogynistic? So, so, yeah, so, so that's I, what they're trying to push. So, <coughs> and, 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 and you can still, and it's still there online. And, uh, and in the end, they said, well, well, you'll come and you'll be interviewed for it. So I did, and I played the, I, I, I told an off color joke, uh, a, a sort of really sort of sexist joke, uh, because the two people, <laughs> the, the, two people the two people, so the two people who are interviewing me are Shirley Ballas. From Strictly Come Dancing yeah. and Kirsty Walk from Newsnight, so I know Kirsty obviously, and and Shirley comes here, so I give so I give uh, Shirley a, a putting lesson, and and she's all glammed up, you know, and and so she's I got a hole in one, I got a hole in one, you got a hole in one, she's just a put. Yeah. So we're talking, they're interviewing me, and they said, you know, so 
so why do you, do you play with women? I said, well, I like to play around with women, you know, but so boom, boom, you know. I said, look, look, look. I said but I play with men because, you know, because we can get things off our chest out on the golf course that you can't say in polite society anymore, you know. So, well, like what? I said, well, here's one for you. Here's the Lockwood family. And we sat watching Strictly Come Dancing on a Saturday. Yeah? I said, and here comes Shirley Ballas, Rip Rue, you know. <laughs> All good and done. So and so, Shirley, so Kirsty's going for God's sake, and and, and Shirley's and Shirley's going. Mm. <laughs> I said, so the Lockwoods are sat watching, and Dad, me says, oh, look at Shirley, but <laughs> so, no, I wouldn't half mind being casseroled by her. At which young Lockwood says, casserole, Dad. Don't you mean caressed? No. Casserole, look it up, to be done slowly for four and a half hours. <laughs> so, so even Kirsty, so even Kirsty can't resist laughing. Yeah, Shell is just absolutely in fits. I said, well, I don't think that's going to make the cut. You know, <laughs> he's so, making the cut. So, so then, and I didn't see this until actually. So they go off and they're talking, and, and me and the guy that we've been interviewed, we just stood on the bus. Am I? They'd want you arrested now. No, 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 no. no. People would. Well, well, <laughs> so, so, that, so they're then doing a piece to camera. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and 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 Kirsty says, "Well, Dan is this sort of gregarious, what hell fellow, well met kind of character? You know, he's obviously kind of macho sort of thing." And yeah, and, and what did Shelley say? Says, "Yeah, it's such a sort you know, it's such a shame he's had his balls clipped." <laughs> you know. So and it went and that went in the show, so it was good. But your point was about Thanks COVID. The humor. So afterwards, we sat having a drink. Yeah. And Kirsty said, so what's happening with your business, Danny, and all this and that? And I'm talking her through it, because the press had gone by then. So I explained, and she said, oh, that's a shame, and blah, 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 blah. Uh, have, have you had your booster? <laughs> and I said, you are. <laughs> and, no, I haven't, Kirsty. And I said, are you aware of the concerns that people have about the vaccines? Uh, well, I'm, I'm aware of the conspiracy theories. I said, I, 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 I don't think people like Dr. Peter McCullough, you know. Conspiracy. Uh, 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 you know, the, have you heard of Ryan Cole? You know? Do, do you, and so, I, and what really, really, really shocked me, Tommy, is that here's a woman, possibly the most senior journalist within the BBC environment, yeah? And she really, really wasn't aware of anything of what we were concerned about. Okay, the lockdowns are a different thing, you know, and, and they've been shown for what they were, you know, stupid beyond stupid. But in terms of, you know, the, the you know, you look at Robert Malone and you look at some of the science and the worries that were flagged up real early on. I said, you know, if, if, if nothing else, as a journalist, you inform yourself. So I read widely. I've lost a lot of friends because I would be writing my headlines column. I would be writing my headline column. I lost, I lost family relationships. I lost friends because I was saying, and I wasn't pontificating or preaching. You know, I sometimes do that, but I was trying to direct people towards the science to say, you make your own, you know, you make your own mind. My wife and my daughter had the jabs. My son didn't. You know, he's a he's an intelligent bloke. He he, he read. Mm, I'm concerned, given that I've got a 0.001% chance of dying from this thing, being a healthy person with good vitamin D levels. And, you know, I don't think, and, and this thing has been rushed into the marketplace in no time at all. Mm. Mm. I'll, give it a, I'll give it a wait and see if you like. 
So all I was trying to do was my job as a journalist saying, hey, if you, if, if you, if you want to inform yourself about this, go look here or go look there. But the reason why ultimately now I say, I understand now, I, I could now if I want say, nah, 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 nah. Told you so. Yeah, told you so. I'm not going to do that because that, that doesn't help anybody, mm. you know. I, I just hope that you can now at least appreciate that what I was trying to do was was as as a responsible journalist, you know, which is what we should do, not just swallow. Just as a responsible human. Just not swallow big farmers' narrative, the bottom pit for politicians. You know, we've seen with the Matt Hancock WhatsApp messages, <clears throat> just exactly just exactly how self-serving and corrupt it was. So I don't I don't get no satisfaction if you like out of saying, well, you know, we were right. We still don't know exactly how deep the damage runs. I think this could be a generational thing. From the vaccine. And we won't get that until, you know, time has passed. A lot of time. And, and, uh, so, um, so, yeah, uh, I, I took my position on it, I think, from an informed perspective. But it really shocked me that someone at the BBC like Kirsty was looking, you know, I can tell, I can read people. And she was aghast. Oh, yeah, you don't believe it. Kirsty, have you not even, you know, are you, are you aware of the Barrington, the Great Barrington Declaration? Are you aware of the, the credentials of the people who signed that? Explain what that is. So <clears throat> the Great Barrington Declaration was very early in the piece, was um, a massive piece of work that was um, submitted basically to the World Health Organization, to every medical uh, uh, and, and political community around the world expressing the concerns at how the whole COVID pandemic was being handled, you know, uh, from start to finish. And it, and, and, it's, and it was just disregarded, you know, despite the credentials of these world-leading, these eminent scientists and medics and academics, they were just dismissed as, uh, as, as you know, fruit loops. And, and the thing that gets me then about journalism, and okay, the, Bill and the, the Gates Foundation, the biggest single uh, funder of the BBC, for instance, and The Guardian, and, 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 and organs of media like that. And you follow the money back, and there's so much evidence of this out there. They're basically buying the news narrative. So I don't remember the Daily Telegraph or the Times or anybody actually writing about the, the Great Barrington Declaration. I don't, you know, you would at least have thought, we will, we'll have a look at this and we'll examine it and we'll, you know, even if we're going to, you know, on the balance of probabilities dismiss it, you would at least, it's eminent enough that you would at least give it some form of regard and it wasn't. And that speaks directly to the fact that the fix was in, the agenda was in. We are not going to question this. And, and, and we're seeing it now with net zero. We're seeing it with the whole, you know, the, the Keir Starmer has just come out and said no more, you know, sort of oil or gas Licenses, good God, that is guaranteed to impoverish the very poorest in you know in our communities. People who can't afford gas and electric now, with the cost of living crisis, that will kill them off. And there's nothing no surer, you know. And yet it's just glibly accepted as well. We're following the science. No, you're not. There is not one single, single peer-reviewed study that shows. Man-made CO2 contributes to climate change. It's a fact, you know. So well, why do you think they're doing this? Why do you think the next? Follow the money. I think ultimately it's uh, it's an exercise 
in you know and again this all sounds conspiracy theorist not for anyone who's researched it doesn't you know, you know so so forgive me if you think oh god any credibility that bloke had has just gone down the pan no if anything over the last hour or so i just hope that i've shown that i'm responsible enough and that i understand how to find things out that's what we do that's what i've been trained to do all my life so i don't just assume a position and then pontificate about it because i'm told to I actually look at it and then I look and see if I can debunk it. You know, well, what's the other side of that? That's what we should. That's what we should do. And so, and as a result of that, wow, yeah, you follow the money. You, you know, you look at the, you look at Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forum. You look at all the puppets that he's brought through. You know, the Pierre, uh, the Justin Trudeau's, um, Jacinda. The, the Jacinda Ardern's, God help us. You know, there's a generation of these people that are now in power and they're singing to a particular song that we haven't been consulted about. So Agenda 2030, all the different things that are going on. That are, What's Agenda 2030 for those? Well, you know, know, again, you know, if you if you follow the, if you if if you want to look up the World Economic Forum, most people, if you're watching this, you'll be you'll be aware of it. You know, and Klaus Schwab, and 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 the fact that there is a a widespread globalist elitist. Um, agenda to basically um, unify global governance yeah and we've got uh, we've got uh, amendments to the world health o organization remit going through right now as we talk which you know will basically give unelected you know um, leader of the who the power to enforce lockdowns and vaccine mandates on us where did we get a vote on that on whose manifesto was that so there's all of this stuff going on in the background, you know. The, the every you know every government that I've heard of so far has said, yeah, we love the idea of a, a central bank digital currency. But once you have that, you have control of your people, just like the the communist in China state in China. So you know, and people are, are oblivious to it, and it's not getting. In other words, if you're not allowed to and, leave and your 15 minute radius of six miles, the, the 15 minute cities, work. you know, we look at what Sadiq Khan's doing in London with the expanded ULS system. This is this is that with knobs on, you know. Because once they've got control of you know where you spend your oh, Mr. Lockwood, you've had you know you bought two bottles of red wine this week and you've had three pints at the Grey Horse Pub. Mm, we're stopping your money, yeah. When they have control of that, they what have you can buy, you, yeah. you know. So I was in London just a few weeks ago, and you'd love this. I went into three pubs. I was walking down to the Cadogan Hall, down off Sloan Square to watch a concert. And I went in three consecutive pubs and I ordered a pint of beer and they brought it and I went to give them a tenner and they said, sorry, we don't accept cash. And I walked out of all three pubs and just left the pint stood on the bar. Bugger off, you know. This is legal tender. And, and, but of course, it's the direction of travel. And you see it in so many places. Yeah, and, 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 and this is, you know, and that's just a small element of the control freakery which is being implemented and applied, unfortunately, at its fastest levels, within democracies, within so-called democracies, yeah? We don't believe that our people that we entrust to governors can, believe, can behave so malignly. My view is that they do. And where are the journalists holding them to account? Well, they're more interested in just, you know, putting the boot into Boris over Partygate, which, you know, is not going to affect anybody's whatever. It was wrong. It was wrong. It was wrong at the time. They knew. But you know what? More full us for actually listening to them at the time. Should have come with me and 100,000 others and marched around London against the lockdowns, you know? 
Um, but I've, I, I, and I just fear that un, unless we really, really do um, protest and, and take a hard line, that, that society as we understand it is about it's gone. So that's why, in, in a way, you know, what's the future for Dewsbury? Well, the future for Dewsbury is, is tied up far less in its Islamic in, 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 the, in the fact that Islamism controls every aspect of of society in that town, pretty much. Um, that's what's coming down on all of us. At a red or not, we'll just put that in the shed. Yeah, that's what I've become. That's what my main things come thinking, because I, I always saw Islam as the biggest threat to the UK. And now I'm sitting thinking, it's pretty irrelevant. Doesn't get, it's barely gets spoken about anymore. No, it barely gets spoken about. Because the level of control of our freedom, of our liberty, it's, it's, and, 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 of our of our everything that's everything about who we are it's, is under threat it's in all a there. much larger yeah. way. And, and, you know, and they're, they're, they're telling everyone what they're doing. And the distractions are there. Ukraine, you know, but yes. that's, that's not on the front pages anymore. That's not sexy. All of a sudden, it's trans, it's Pride Month or week or... And, and Pride the, year, isn't it? And the, yeah, and the, and the trans agenda, you know. Uh, and, and so I, Where do you think that fits into it? Oh, well, it, again, it's a distraction. It, 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 you know, it's the, the woke left and they will become irrelevant in time. But, but this plays this plays to the greater narrative in that it, it's got people looking away. We're not looking at the fact that there are freedoms America, are about to disappear. The fact that America is bankrupt. Yeah. The fact that we're not far behind. The fact that um, they've been printing money. You know. I mean, net zero. These just stop oil fools. You know. People will not discuss the actual fact that there is no science. There's no climate change to back it up. There's this this climate change. It'll be raining tomorrow. Climate will have changed. You know. Antarctic sea ice is at record levels. The the coral growth on the Great Barrier Reef is, is off the scale good. But it's not so serious. But, but you know, and, and, and we don't need to talk about that because it's suddenly there's been no measurable global warming for 10 years plus now. Zero. And so it, all of a sudden they don't talk about global warming, they talk about climate change. Now let's just, you know, move, shuffle the deck chairs on the Titanic. Still going down. And there's some people and, making a hell of a lot of money and, out of and it. And making an awful lot of money out of it. And they control the media. Well, you know, something like 40%, I read this during the pandemic, something like 40% of all of the newspaper or media advertising in the US came by a farmer. Big farmer. Big farmer. Yeah. yeah. Well, you're not going to throw away 40% of your revenue, are you? So, hey, you know. So somebody's pulling the strings, and it, well, and it, ain't, Dave, and it ain't Joe Biden, and it ain't <laughs> Sunak. Joe Biden. In your opinion, in your own opinion, who is it? When we say they, I say they a lot. Yeah? We say they, and they're going to do this, and they're going to do that. What is they? Who is it that's implementing this world government? Who is it that's implementing well, the food well, shortages? Who is it? That's well, I mean, you can you can go back on the sort of the whole Rockefeller, Rothschild. The, you know, the, which used to be a conspiracy. The, the big, the big. It used to be, but it isn't. But the, you know, you've got an elite now that in, that includes people like Bill Gates and Zuckerberg, and you know, Elon's a little bit sort of out on his own up there. But there are a lot of people of that billionaire status who, who actually wield untold power, you know, and they're not accountable. So corporations. I'm not going, I'm, yeah, but well, let's just say as it is, BlackRock and Vanguard and State Street. You know, who are they? Well, Vanguard are on your telly all the time, you know, invest through These are two companies that own the majority you know, of the world. They own all the media they, in the world. You know, if, if you look at the share 
They funded both sides of every war in the yeah, world. Yeah, they've, they've, you know, they own everything. It don't matter if you they profit think, off war. If you think Cadbury's are at war with Roundtree's, for instance, like whatever. Um, well, these guys own both of them. <laughs> in every sense, so, in every, of every, in every single sense. battle. So, so I think BlackRock have got something like nine or ten trillion dollars worth of assets under management. Vanguard might be seven trillion. State Street five. And then you come down to Morgan Stanley's and all the big in investing institutions. And these people, so when they decide they are no longer going to put your pension fund money into Shell, BP, SO, whatever, yeah, it's all going to go into their green because, because they see the dollar that they're chasing is green. The money that they want to chase is green. So when they're direct, you know, on, on, a, on, a, on a massive level, that is... You know, it, 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 it's, it's beyond governing. Which is where we would say feminism or say, say now the non-binary identities, the they, the he. Yeah. When you see the mass corporations, it's coming from up there because when they control all of this, then the big massive corporations, they're, the big the big corporations that they control start doing, telling all the staff to write in their emails and before you know it, boom. They're, do, they're doing as they're told, you know. Right? Yeah. And, and so... It's just kind it, of... It's, so when you said they, yeah, they, you know, Larry, you ever heard Larry of Fink, the CEO of, of BlackRock, you know. Have you heard many politicians speak about these these groups? Well, no, because that's who they're going to be working for. That's where Sunak came from, and that's where Sunak's going back to. It'll be two years' time, they'll be living in California, and they'll be working, they'll have a senior job either with the, the UN or wherever. Yeah. But, it, but, but, you know, it, I mean, he's minted, he's minted anyway. What does he need 180 grand a year for as Prime Minister? He doesn't, unless it's to fulfil... Assignment. An assignment. So and, that is, and, that is, and that is my fear and suspicion. So, Danny, Tommy, I thank you, man. It's been an absolute pleasure. No, my pleasure. It's been very my interesting. Pleasure. I think a lot of people are going to be very interested by your views on all aspects. Well, I watched you talk on Brexit. I don't think there was anyone who portrayed Brexit or put across the Brexit argument as well as you did when I watched you on TV. So, and I think most people could get this from, from, from many angles or many political angles. Yeah, it's, um, you know, and I, I, I was in Morocco a few weeks ago with a group of European journalists, yeah, and, and I, lost a, I lost a lot of those as friends because, you know, sitting around, a, sitting around a, a table at a golf club in Brussels, I'd said, so Danny, you'll be voting against Brexit, won't you? Oh no, I'll be voting. So my friend Roland Machineau, um, Danny, mon ami, why is this? You hate us, you hate us. I said, no, I love you. I just want to myself. I said, I love you, mate. And that's why I we need to be out of it, because I do not believe in a supranational, unelected commission that's telling me how to live my life in Yorkshire. I said, and neither should you, neither should you. The Yorkshireman again. So the Yorkshireman again, <laughs> you know. English, English by birth, Yorkshire by the grace of God. <laughs> you know, so I said, no, it's because I love you and I want us all to have great relationships in a thriving, healthy, as thriving, healthy neighbours, mm. you know, and not be ruled by a masked elite, which is what the, the EU Commission is. It's unelected, you know. So so it's pretty simple. I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm just a simple Yorkshireman, mate. <laughs> yeah, well, it's been a pleasure, man. And um, yeah. I hope you join yeah. me again at some point. Yeah, it's been a pleasure, yeah. Good, good luck with this project. Thank you, Danny, man. Cheers. Carry on watching for more interesting guests. I'll talk to anyone. I'll debate anyone. I'll hear anyone's story. If you want to help me along that way, it's not free. I need your support. If you can support my family, that gives me my peace of mind. It means I can continue to do the work I do. You can do so at www.supporttommy.com.
www.ferrismotorsports.com. I appreciate every bit of support, as do my children. Gives me the ability to fly them out here to see me so I can stay in constant contact with them. I'm de-platformed and I'm censored, so I need you. I need you to share this content. Make sure you stay tuned for upcoming weekly guests, interesting guests, exciting guests. I'm Tom Robson, and this has been my podcast, Silence. <laughs>